0: Welcome to the Dinner Party Download, this is your icebreaker. A man goes to the doctor, he knows he's terminally ill, he goes to the doctor and he says, doc, how's it looking? And the doctor says, it's not good. And he says, well, how much time do I have left? And the doctor says, ten. And the guy says, ten what? And the doctor says, nine. I'm Rico
1: Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download,
0: the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from folk singer Sam Amidon. Thanks, Sam. And later we'll be speaking with our guest of honor, Sundance-winning filmmaker Andy Tamoner. But first, time for small talk.
1: Rico, this week in the news, it was earthquakes, pirates, evil dictators. It was like summer blockbuster movie season, except it's April and it's our lives.
0: So for a little escape, we asked the folks at Marketplace to tell us about some less apocalyptic and less well-known news items. Jeremy Hobson, New York reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend?
1: Well, it turns out, Rico, that even reality TV is starting to reflect economic reality.
0: Oh, my word. How, how so?
1: Well, the show Paris Hilton's My New BFF, which I know you're a big fan of, uh, it turns out the mansion <laughs> that the contestants live in this new season will cost half as much as the mansion they lived in last season to save money.
0: And and America weeps.
1: Yes, and, and there's no word yet on whether the uh, contestants will be judged on their ability to renegotiate the terms of, of the mansion's adjustable rate mortgage. <laughs> (laughs) Betsy Streisand, senior editor at Marketplace. What's your story?
2: The story I like this week is a story about Reebok getting into the flying trapeze business. What
1: could possibly go wrong
2: with this plan? Oh, they've teamed up with Cirque du Soleil to create an exercise program where people fly from trapezes, which, if you've ever seen Cirque du Soleil, you know that that's not happening at any gym in America. (laughs) You know, these people have an extra chromosome for Bendy.
0: Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter for marketplace go
2: well the banks
3: are in even more trouble right now
0: Uh, they did they start robbing banks
3: Um, no there's been this wave of lawsuits from companies like Texas Instruments and other places that invested in credit default swaps that the banks said were really stable now people are suing them because they turned out to be worthless so
0: basically our bailout money could go to the banks and then they could be sued by investors who would get it back
3: right except a lot of it will probably go to the lawyers (laughs)
0: So this is, in a way, this is stimulus for America's last remaining industry.
3: It's true, lawsuits are too big to fail.
1: And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our famous history lesson with a hangover. First, the history. This week back in 1930, Mahatma Gandhi orchestrated one of the greatest moments in the history of nonviolent protest.
0: Now, the folks at your dinner party will know Gandhi and Ben Kingsley are two different people. I've never seen him at the same place at the same time. Well, that's true. <laughs> our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell us something your guests might not know.
3: For India's independence movement, victory wasn't sweet. It was salty. Back then, India was a British colony. And one of the nice things about having colonies is you can force them to buy your stuff. Britain passed laws that made it illegal for Indians to make their own salt and taxed British salt to the skies. Now everyone needs salt to live. So Gandhi figured the tax was a symbol of injustice that would unite everyone against the Brits. He announced a plan to march to the ocean where he'd illegally make his own salt. Newspapers jumped on the story and Gandhi played up the drama saying the protest could get him killed. Finally, he sent the Brits a letter. If they called off the tax, he'd call off the march. They ignored him bad move. Gandhi began the march with 80 followers, but by the time he reached the sea, 50,000 more had joined up. The morning of April 6th, he picked up a clump of beach salt and said, quote, With this, I am shaking the foundations of the British Empire. The act performed, India had its cue. It seemed as though a spring had been suddenly released all over the country. Millions demonstrated, boycotted English goods, and churned out illegal salt. The tax wasn't repealed, but for the Brits, it was the beginning of the end. Seventeen years later, India was an independent nation. And twenty years later, a young Martin Luther King first read about the Salt March.
1: So that was the history lesson. Now it's time for the cocktail. I'm on the line with Heather Carlucci Rodriguez. She's the owner of Lussie, a renowned little Indian restaurant in New York City, which is named after a yogurt drink, which is popular in India, which is why we're calling her. Why do Why do I want to call it Lassie?
4: Well, usually it's spelled L-A-S-S-I. Okay. But, you know, there's really, it comes from Hindi. You know, it's phonetic.
1: I, I just didn't know if it was one of those situations, like when you were in college and you learned that Nietzsche is pronounced Nietzsche. You know, you start being a terror to other people who say Nietzsche. Yeah, exactly. now. <laughs>
4: I still
1: slip. So we decided to contact you because this week we didn't think it was really fitting to have an alcoholic drink related to Gandhi because he was against drinking, so we thought of a nice, salty lassie.
4: Sure. It's um, very easy. We put uh, yogurt in a blender, about four cups since we always make you know more than one, and a teaspoon of black salt.
1: What is Indian black salt?
4: Um, it actually looks, after its mind, it looks quite pink, and um, it's very sulfury. So when you when you make it, it sort of smells like eggs, uh, especially once it hits the, the yogurt. Hmm. Blend it for about a minute, and that's it. That's it. That's it.
1: <laughs> that's all they're doing.
4: <laughs> that's all they're doing. In India, they add cumin and garlic and cilantro, depending on where in India you are. But we keep things pretty simple.
1: So I have a question that I'm sure you've heard a hundred times, but I'm going to ask it. Sure. <laughs> Do you know what it is?
4: <laughs> why am I making Indian food?
1: <laughs> <laughs> because your name is Carlucci Rodriguez. It begs the question.
4: Um, I fell in love with it.
1: So Rico, this brings up a whole host of questions. Yes,
0: like uh, why don't they just call it salt yogurt? For one, yes. Black salt and yogurt sounds like a good drink. Black so, Black salt yogurt is acceptable. I
1: think that's what's in Coke anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you're one of the two people who knows the recipe to Coke, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Everyone else, you can write to us at party at kpcc.org
0: Our guest of honor this week is Andi Timoner. She directed the rock documentary, Dig, and the new documentary, We Live in Public, which won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance and played MoMA this week. And Andi, this film's true story is so odd, I'm just going to let you describe it.
2: Well, it tells the story of Josh Harris, who uh, started the first internet television network. And everybody thought he was kind of crazy, but he was the godfather of Manhattan. I mean, he threw these insane parties, and what he ended up doing was throw sort of the climactic party, which was a human experiment in 1999, where he built a bunker underground in Manhattan, where over 100 people moved into a capsule motel, and each pod was rigged with a surveillance camera. It was neo-fascistic in a lot of ways, and I filmed it.
0: Now that's the first half of the film, and then it gets stranger.
2: Um, He just kind of went from having this bunker, which was shut down as a millennial cult by FEMA, to making himself the guinea pig. He had gone on to rig his loft with 32 surveillance cameras and 64 microphones, a camera in the toilet and camera in the bedroom, and he made a website called weliveinpublic.com and announced to the world that he and his girlfriend were gonna live in public.
4: When you're arguing in public, It's about egos, and it's about winning, and you have an audience. It's terrible.
0: (laughs) The moment the fight ends, the first thing we did is rush to our terminals to see everyone's viewpoint on how the fight went. And that was more interesting than the fight. It occurred to me as I was watching that it's a lot like Dig, which also follows a character who attracts people to him, but destroys them in some ways and destroys himself. What is the appeal to you of that theme?
2: I think I've always been fascinated by the mob mentality. Human beings feeling the need to ensnare each other and then to stick together and clan together. And
0: it's interesting because they are kind of, in a way, these are all dysfunctional families.
2: Dysfunctional families, exactly. And even some of my favorite films are narrative films about dysfunctional families. Like? Ordinary People. I love that film. I love Breaking Away.
0: Me too. Yeah, (laughs) Um, We always ask two questions of everybody on the show. The first one is what question do you hate being asked in interviews?
2: Question that I can't answer is what are you trying to say with this film as opposed to what are you trying to ask with this film? It's obvious that there's a tipping point right now between the virtual world and the physical world and that the virtual world is more compelling in a lot of ways. So I think I'm just trying to actually get people to be aware.
0: If you can get them to put down their iPhones for two hours. <laughs> All right, the, uh, and the other question that we ask of everybody is tell us something we don't know. It could be an anecdote from your life or...
2: One time I had a fight at the ice cream man. What? It's like an ice cream truck where people would go after school. And we were supposed to have a fight at a certain time there.
0: At, at an ice cream
2: truck? <laughs> yes. Yeah. In an elementary school, a girl named Carla. She she challenged you to this? She did. Was
0: she the psychotic?
2: That fight at the ice cream. And I had that, you know, that moment, which I had recently with one of my executive producers at Sundance, I haven't told anybody this either, where I stood there and realized, you have to decide right now if you're a fighter or whether you're a pacifist and, you know. And I said, I, I wouldn't fight her at the ice cream, man.
0: But what happened at Sundance?
2: I was told to take several scenes out of my film to make it more commercial. Parts that provide important parts, like compassion. And I just realized in that moment that maybe I was going to, you know, have a hard time supporting my five-year-old, but I just had to make the films the way that they should be made.
0: So this time you actually went to the ice cream man.
2: Yes.
0: Man, they
1: fought at the ice cream truck.
0: It, it is so bizarre. <laughs> like,
1: ice cream should be a place of peace. Like, clearly.
0: Clearly you've never been blackjacked with an Otter Pop. <laughs> tell us- I have been tarred and feathered with jimmies. <laughs> Why didn't you call me? <laughs> you can tell us your novelty treat weapon of choice at our website. It's dinnerpartydownload.com. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, where we tell you what's going on in the world of food. And Brendan... I thought you were going to go this time around with the obvious choice.
1: Obvious for weirdos.
0: Obvious to everyone. (laughs) It is grilled cheese month, and the grilled cheese invitational competition here in L.A. started accepting competitors this week. It's time to talk about grilled cheese.
1: But not at synagogues and churches where they're celebrating Passover and Easter. They're they're Mm. actual holidays. Whatever. And so I decided I was going to speak with Annie Miller. People say she makes some of the best deviled eggs around.
0: Very clever. Thank you. All right.
1: But when I got to her, (laughs) but listen, when I got to her Cafe Clementine, I found out that she was in cahoots with the Grilled Cheese Mafia.
4: We have food people, restaurateurs and authors and stuff who have uh, contributed sandwiches for Grilled Cheese Month. So uh, Nancy Silverton contributed one. Who
1: declared National Grilled Cheese Month?
4: I don't know. I'm sure it was (laughs) some dairy council somewhere something like that.
1: So is this like a secretary's day for the for the cheese industry? It's an excuse to make to sell cards?
4: Yeah, yeah, but no, who's going to argue with it, you know? I think grilled cheese is universal. Everyone likes it.
1: Well, you ask who's going to argue with it. I actually could make an argument against grilled cheese. I think people like grilled cheese because it makes them feel like they're 12 again. But I think what America needs now are people that act like they're their own age. Yeah,
4: you, so you think we just have to grow up and stop eating grilled cheese?
1: There's a more important business for you to attend.
4: I mean, I understand what you're saying. We need to you know, wake up and taste reality, but what, why does grilled cheese have to get mixed up in that?
1: Well, you know, I was actually looking at your grilled cheese menu, and you have some very adult options, and I was wondering if you could share some of them.
4: Well, we have a grilled garlic melt on a whole grain bread. Uh, it's got it's really cheesy and it's got a bit thick slathering of roasted garlic in the sandwich. And then when it comes off the panini grill we rub it with fresh garlic oh and we serve it with the fava bean puree and fava beans are just coming in now.
1: Now that makes it adult because fava beans are really difficult to get out of their shell, and they're really expensive.
4: Well, yeah, but I mean, we started this whole thing talking about Easter eggs, so (laughs) are you gonna
1: ban Easter (laughs) eggs
4: too? I mean, what? Uh, Next
1: year. Sorry (laughs) kids. No
4: Easter eggs this year.
1: Do you think the grilled cheese could jump the shark and become too popular? And then maybe for a whole generation of children we'll never have grilled cheese?
4: Uh, Well, I mean, I guess if you have your way.
0: And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. If you get sad between episodes... I know I do. Uh, me too. We provide daily dinner party fodder on Twitter. Follow us at DinnerPartyDNLD. And you can also catch us
1: on Off Ramp, an excellent program hosted by John Raby and Queen Akim. You can find that at
0: KPCC.org. Thanks this week to Jessica Dial and Kevin Ferguson. And we leave you, as always, with one for the road. A song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party.
1: It's from Miki Chu and the Shape's new album, Jewelry, and the song's called Golden Phone. We have another one of her tracks at our website. Bon appetit. <laughs> I'm Brendan Francis Noonan, and we'll meet you at the ice cream
0: truck. No knives, no fudgesicles, for real.